I'm shocked, blown away, honestly. Yeah, that never happens, does it? Not at all. No. Of course, if that yeah. were true, neither one of us would have jobs, would we? <laughs> well, I don't have a job. <laughs> You're recording a podcast. You're a consultant, Well, that's right? true. It, this is a job. <laughs> well, Chuck, welcome back. You got us another opportunity to record a podcast here. Uh, full disclosure for anybody listening or watching. This is the second attempt to record this podcast. The first attempt will be lost forever because of some technical difficulties. And and that's a real tragedy because we had great stuff on that one, which I don't think we're going to be able to replicate today. Some of your best material, profound statements from both of us, honestly, like I no idea how I I said some of the like came up with some of those. I mean, it's crazy. I was amazed. Yeah. And the musical number. Yeah, just that was randomly something. in the middle. Like, who knew John Bon Jovi was going to join us? Crazy, right? Yeah. yeah, you know, he's got a long history in labor relations. He does. He does. A good guy. Yeah. A lot of great insight. Um, yeah. yeah, you know. Oh well, these things happen. He's not available today. <sighs> no, no, couldn't get the uh, the travel time worked out on that one. <laughs> so, but speaking of travel time, segues are hey. weird, right? <laughs> uh, the Portal to Portal Act. That's what we're here to talk about today. I uh, had a special request for us to record an episode on this, so I figured why not give it a shot? Let's let's talk sure. about it. So let's you know go into a little bit of the history of it. We'll cover okay. that. Uh, we'll kind of talk about when it's applicable, when it's not. Then we'll kind of say, okay, where does the Portal to Portal Act really interact with your CBA? We'll throw in some examples and experiences that we've had. Uh, dealing with it, obviously, with your career, I'm sure you've bumped into it a few times. And then we'll wrap it up and call it a day and uh, see if we can catch a drink with uh, John Bon Jovi before he heads out, right? <laughs> yeah, good idea. So with all that said, Chuck, we got to know uh, where we came from to understand where we mm-hmm. are. So Portal to Portal Act, how did we get it? Well, it's a good question. And I have, I hope, a good answer for that. It's tied back to the Fair Labor Standards Act, which was the last piece of President Roosevelt's New Deal, at least as far as employer-employee relations go. So the Fair Labor Standards Act was passed in 1938, which simply said people should be paid when they work for an employer and get overtime after 40 hours. Although it called for people to be paid for their work, it did not define what work was. That didn't really show up because when the act was passed, we were in a depression. And then the economy ramped up because we went into a war. When the war was over in 1946, well, the war was over in 45. At that same time, the Supreme Court uh, ruled that work included the time people spent walking from a time clock to where they actually started their daily principal activities which shook up the industry because most people weren't being paid for that time. So in 1947, Congress tried to reinstate what had been in place prior to the Fair Labor Standards Act insofar as when the workday started. And that led to the Portal to Portal Act, which laid out that commuting time and incidental activities before you start actually performing your principal activities are not compensable time. It spent a lot of time holding employers not liable for not having paid, according to the Supreme Court's ruling, 
and a little bit of time in trying to define when work started. But they started talking about things like principal activities and events that are preliminary or postliminary to that. And they didn't define those terms. Sounds like fun, doesn't it? It's a blast. That's why I get up in the morning, honestly. I can't be paid for the time I'm getting up in the morning because of that <laughs> darn act. Yeah, that's true. That's preliminary. <laughs> but you're telling me that a group of people got together, put together language that's supposed to control or enact or change the way our workday looks, and they introduced terms, and then they forgot to define those terms. I, I'm shocked, blown away, honestly. Yeah, that never happens, does it? Not at all, no. Of course, if that but, were true, neither one of us would have jobs, would we? <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't have a job. <laughs> You're recording a podcast. You're a consultant, Well, that's right? true. <laughs> this is a job. Yeah, and the big difference between then and now is, in this case, Portal, Portal to Portal Act, an act that's about two pages long and has, I think, 12 sections in it, and they didn't define some of the terms. Now they'll write laws that are 2,000 pages long with thousands of sections in them, and they don't define the terms any better in new legislation. So, hey, And they never progress. contradict the, oh, like, no. none of the sections. Well, it's interesting you mentioned you know, the Portal to Portal Act, as you said, I think 12 sections. Did I hear that right? Roughly. I think that's the count. Yeah. Like that. Somebody out there fact check us, tell us if we're right or wrong. It's really neither here nor there for this discussion because most of what controls anything that we're going to talk about or anywhere that you as a chapter manager or contractor would be involved would be basically section four. If I'm not mistaken. That's, that's kind of what defines the travel or, you know, the commuting time to work, the post-liminary preliminary post-liminary activity mm -hmm. that you talked about gets a little bit into um, the print, you know, the discussion of what's the principal activity. So that's, that all just happens to be in section four and a game for those of you playing along at home. Um, if you want to look up the definitions of this, I'll just go ahead or, or the information on this. I'll go ahead and throw it out right now. It's ECFR 785.33. So if you look in the electronic code of federal regulations, that's where you can find all this information. This is all bundled into uh, the regulations on the Fair Labor Standards Act because the Portal to Portal Act amended the Fair Labor Standards Act. So it doesn't stand alone. You don't look it up by itself. It's part of FLSA. Well, Chuck, it's actually really great that you brought up the FLSA. And it's not like we've recorded this before and, you know, had this conversation. <laughs> so we don't have any history to go off of here. Uh, but you talked about how the Portal to Portal Act uh, doesn't stand on its own. And just another game for those of you guys playing along at home. Mark down how many times we say Portal to Portal Act, because uh, I'd be curious. There's a special prize for whoever gets it right. Uh, so the Portal to Portal Act, there's another one. Can you talk a little bit about that relationship of how it goes hand in hand with the FLSA? You know, is there a point where the Portal to Portal Act is active and then the FLSA then picks up? I guess fill in the blanks there for me. Yeah. The purpose of the Portal to Portal Act was not, again, not to stand alone and not to change so much the Fair Labor Standards Act. It was to determine when the workday started. So Portal to Portal runs before the workday and it runs after the workday. During the workday, it's not considered at all. There, the Fair Labor Standards Act holds sway and what you do and how you compensate people is based entirely on the terms of the Fair Labor Standards Act. Portal to Portal just tells you when 
the Fair Labor Standards Act starts. So it principally says driving, riding, walking to work is not compensable time. That's normal commute. And it says after your workday ends, the employer is no longer liable to pay you. Now, one thing, and we'll get into this a little more because it's, it's important in the next part of our discussion, just because the Portal to Portal Act says certain time is not compensable, if your labor agreement says it's compensable, or if traditionally in an industry or for an employer in an industry, it's compensable, then it is compensable. So Portal to Portal exempted all this work unless employers and employees had agreed that it was paid time. But in a nutshell, Portal to Portal, before the day starts, FLSA during the day, Portal to Portal after they've completed the last of their principal activities. All right, Chuck. Well, you know, that's that's not a bad idea playing off the Portal to Portal Act. And you were talking about, you know, while the act may not say that something is compensable, past practice that might say that, or you brought up the contract. So tell me about some times or some examples that you can think of where the portal port, uh, see, I'm going to say this so many times, I'm just going to stumble over the <laughs> word, but here's another one for the books at home. Tell me about some times when the port or tell me about some interactions between the portal to portal act and the collective bargaining. The collective bargaining agreement generally impacts only the Fair Labor Standards Act. Uh, it's all about time worked and what you get paid for it and that sort of thing. But where it can get into the CBA is, especially in a big city, where getting into the, the shop or getting to a job site takes a considerable amount of time. Some agreements provide for that. Now, remember, it's there is no hard and fast rule in the law about how long commuting time can take. What does it take where you live? What does it take with your company and your employees? What did everybody understand to be the situation when the person was hired and put to work? Those are all considerations. And the general rule is, if it's normal, it's not compensable. But you can make it compensable. So if you tell people because traffic is horrendous, pay the guys an hour in the morning to drive in. That's fine. It's not required by the law, but it's now required by contract. And it could be in your main CBA or it could be by contract or agreement between an employer and employees. Now, that only implies to that single employer in that case, not to everybody. It is now hours worked. And you have to remember, if you make it hours worked, it is hours worked. It's the same as an installation hour. And you have to count those hours towards overtime. I guess this is as good a time as any to throw in our normal disclaimer, too, that we're talking about the federal law here. If certain states have passed their own laws concerning some of these things, they start the clock at different times, depending on what the individual is doing. And so you really need to understand what your state law is, because states can make more time compensable they can't make it take away any time that's covered by the FLSA, but they can add more time. So just make sure, California, that you're <laughs> you're really looking at the law and what you're required to do. Yeah, that's a that's a very good statement to make. And that's for any topic that we cover uh, for the benefit of all of our audience. We try to stay 
at the very high level, at the federal level, obviously every state can potentially have something different. And maybe the only time we'll get into a particular state, California, uh, that happens to have, you know, something particularly egregious, at least in our eyes, is when it's when it's caused a legitimate problem or when it's in direct conflict to something we've said where nationally it's this way, but California happens to do it the other way. And sorry, California, we're not really picking on you, but we kind of are. You guys have some, (laughs) some very interesting labor law. (laughs) Yeah. And, and it's, they got a lot of interesting laws that are put into other laws that you'd never expect to affect us, but that's another topic. So yeah, we have the, the obvious disclaimer of, always check state law, but I'm also going to refer everyone back to, since you talked about that driving time and you talked about uh, how it should, you should be considering in your overtime calculations. Uh, Chuck came up with a very great, or a very good formula in our very first podcast about how to still pay overtime, but make it count the same as straight time when paying for driving time. And I am not going to attempt to try to come up with that formula again here. I did do it for that video. So if you've only listened to that podcast, Go back and watch the video. I actually put the formula on the screen, uh, but I end all this with saying it's probably more trouble than it's worth, but it was genius. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought it was great. Yes. Yes. I remember. Well, Chuck, we've talked and probably exhausted as much as we can anyway, how the Portal to Portal Act and the CBA play together. And, you know, just to put a bow on that, for the most part, like you said, the CBA really interacts more with the FLSA and only kind of gets in on the fringes of the portal to portal act because Mm -hmm. the CBA is talking mostly about compensable time, not necessarily about time that isn't, you know, we mentioned a couple of examples where you could create compensable time, even though the portal to portal act says that it's not, uh, but the best way to really dive into this and talk about it. And I think is where we'll spend the remainder of our time and the bulk of our time is let's just Let's get into some experiences. Let's get into some scenarios and, you know, really work our way through them because I think that'll give our, our viewers, listeners, whatever you want to call, it'll give them the best benefit of, of understanding this act, understanding how they're going to deal with it on a day-to-day basis. Um, so okay. I'm, I'm going to throw it to you right now. What, what, what's an experience or what's, what's something, a scenario you can discuss that really involves the Portal to Portal Act? Well, one issue that takes place on large jobs. They cover a lot of real estate. Worker shows up, parks his car, walks in. When does that individual's time start? When Portal to Portal Act was developed, they have a lot of congressional testimony on record that talks about what they were trying to do. But two common examples that they used, they were talking about minors. Time didn't start for minors until they were at the mine face digging. Their clock didn't start until they started hitting that mine face with their pickaxe. Another example they used was a lathe operator. He didn't get paid until the lathe started to spin. The So where is it in our industry where the clock starts? Where does the individual start getting paid? If it's, you know, a small construction site. We're talking about a couple of minutes. Guy parks in front, walks in. He's ready to go. I think traditionally we have adopted the gang box. Everybody meets there, gets their instruction from the foreman. Foreman notes their presence or however they're keeping time 
on that particular job and the guys walk in, start getting paid at show up eight o'clock. You'd be here at the gang box at eight o'clock. That's when the day starts, even though their principal activity may be several minutes later when they actually get to the wall where they're hanging something. I'm going to cut in here because you actually hit on something that's very important in the portal to portal act. You said when the foreman provides them instruction, the portal to portal act is very specific. If you receive guidance or layout or instruction from a supervisor, you're now getting paid. So if it's right, if it's anything more than incidental, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Your day starts when you start discussing plans. If that's where everybody meets and they start going over the plans and clearly that's work. Yeah. Not just talking about the weekend and who won last night. That's right. That's not it. Yeah. They're they're laying out the job at that point. But, but if you just show up at the gang box and grab your personal tools and walk in and there's no other interaction, it's not necessarily compensable to walk in on larger jobs that walk from the gang box to where the work is performed can be quite lengthy. Indeed, the walk from parking to the gang box can take a while. And on larger jobs, there may be multiple check-in places because each crew is doing a different part of the building. They're in a different location. In a number of agreements that I have seen, the parties try to fix this problem and just say, time starts when the worker gets to his workstation, but he walks out on company time, walk-in time, on the, on the employee's time, walk out on the employer's, vice versa. Or sometimes it's, you know, be at your starting location at 8 o'clock, stay there until 4.30, but you get paid 15 minutes each way. What unfortunately happens in a lot of cases is, although those were the rules and everybody kind of understood them and there were never any problems, nothing was ever written down, a new building that's bigger than anything you've seen before goes into effect. And then there's a lot of conversation about when do we start getting paid? That's a long walk. We shouldn't have to do that on our own time. Portal to portal says, yes, you do. You don't get paid till you do engage in your principal activity. What you just brought up there is just the harsh realities of economics. Sometimes there are times where when the law is silent, the CBA or the law says you don't, the CBA is silent, but the economic reality of the situation is you're going to have to pay for it. And I think by and large in an area, a local area, there are conventions about how this is dealt with between the employers and the employees. And it works fine most of the time. It's when something new comes up. A new employer comes into town, new individuals enter the workforce that we see these things flare up. One interesting thing is if you have negotiated, say, a 15 minute walkout, that's all the employer has to pay, even if the walkout is 30 minutes long, because under Portal to Portal, he didn't have to pay anything, the employer. Let's uh, let's expand on that coming into or, you know, getting to the job site or getting to the gang box or the principal activity a little bit. And I'm going to touch on very recent scenario that I was presented with. Mm-hmm. And if our chapter manager happens to be listening that this applies to, you get extra points. And thank you for providing me with content. 
so the scenario I was presented with was uh, the contractor said workday starts at 7 a.m. The employees had to park at a parking lot that I want to say was maybe a mile away. It was, it was it was significant enough that it wasn't just a you know a couple of minutes walk to to get mm-hmm. to you know where the actual job site was. If the individuals wanted to take a bus, the bus left the parking lot at 6:30 to get them there in time to start work at seven. So the question was presented to me was, well, when the employees get on that bus, is that 30 minutes, you know, potentially that they're riding that bus compensable? So in true labor relations fashion, I answered their question with some questions. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. First off, I wanted to ask is, is that the only way, you know, does, is that the only way these employees can access the job is via this bus or do they have the option of walking? You know, do they have to be there at six 30? Cause then that's, that's when it starts to get a little gray. Is there a supervisor on this bus that's start, you know, do they start really like laying out the day or are they free to do their own thing? You know, sleep, read a book, um, listen to a labor thoughts podcast, you know, whatever it is that they want to do till they get to work. Uh, also are they really, I think I maybe mentioned this, but it is the employer saying you have to take this bus. You have to be here at six 30 or is the employer saying, look, you got a bus. If you want to take it, I understand a mile is a long way to walk. You can take the bus if you want to, or you can walk, but you got to be there at seven. So I asked all these questions. I'll pause for a second to let, let you take this all in. I let, see you. Let that sink in. Yeah. Let it sink in. I could see the gears turning in your head. Before we answer it, you obviously were in this position for many, many years. What else would have you would you have asked? I'm not even sure I touched on all the questions. I'm much better typing than I am speaking. But do you think I didn't ask something that you should have asked or that I should have? The only thing, again, would be what has this employer done in the past? What is ordinary for that area? When you're looking at a portal to portal issue, the law is fairly clear that it's the inquiry is not what is the industry practice, but what has the employee or the employer done in this situation? There's some consideration of the type of industry that you're in, but no employer is bound by what others are doing. You'll actually be proud of me when you said that and the chapter manager and the regional director can attest to, I did ask that question. And I think I actually worded it something like, has the employer paid this before, you mm-hmm. know, as in either a similar project or is it a typical practice for the employer to pay for this time? What ultimately wound up happening is the employer clarified to the chapter manager and also made sure it was clear to the employees that the bus or bus or van, whatever it was, was purely a convenience. If if that's how they wanted to get to the job site, it's going to be there at six 30. It's also going to make one more loop back through at whatever other time it was going to be. If you want to walk to the job, you walk to the job, work starts, workday starts at seven, be here at seven, ready to go. Clearly in that scenario, it's not compensable. No. And I think it's always best to portray it as a convenience to the worker. But I'm not sure that that has much um, impact in the analysis. I know there was a case from the Gulf Coast where the employer required people to take the bus. 
because there was no adequate parking in the close to the job and because the owner didn't want a bunch of cars parked on the street around the the site and they wanted to control access so they wanted everybody coming in at one point they told the employers bring your people in by bus so the employers told their people you got to get on the bus and we'll bring you in but because as you uh, implied in your questioning they were free to sleep read the paper talk on the phone do whatever they want the court decided that that was commuting time that definition has been pretty broad in both the law and the and the courts and there you got to get to work it doesn't really matter how you get there if you're not working you were not hired to ride a bus you were hired in our case to do electrical work well how about in true labor relations fashion, though? We talk about the exception, the exception, the time when you have to pay the electrician for, let's say, flying on an airplane. Okay. Because if my understanding of the act is correct and I'm wrong, I have been wrong before. So let's see if I'm wrong <laughs> now. Say we have an electrician whose typical work week, Monday through Friday, let's say they work 8 a.m. to, let's say, eight, you know, 9 to 5, 8 to whatever normal their normal eight hour work day is. And they're told they live in Washington, DC and we need you to go over to San Francisco and run a job for two weeks. Need you there Monday afternoon, Tuesday, something like that. Let's say the electrician hops on a plane while they're flying. They happen to cross over into their work day. My understanding of the act is just because they're not, even though they're not doing electrical work, they're now during their normal work week and work day, that becomes compensable time. Wrong or right? That's true. No, that's true. And in fact, if they flew on Monday to get there or on Sunday to get there Monday morning, even though they don't normally work on Sundays, the time between 8 and 4.30 or 9 to 5 would still be their work day for that Sunday. So if they flew during those hours, they get paid. They're traveling at the convenience of the employer. For, yeah, for the employer's benefit. And that's always key. Travel for the benefit of the employer during your normal working hours is compensable time, regardless of the day of the week that you do it. Whether that travel is, as our language in our CBA says, from shop to job, job to job, job to shop, or from Washington, D.C. to San Francisco, if you're mm -hmm. traveling for the employer. Right. Be compensable it's, time. It is integral to your job. I want to touch on uh, some scenarios when time that would normally not be compensable but could turn into compensable time. It was a scenario that was presented to me by one of our field reps and extra points if that field rep happens to be listening. The individuals would show up at the shop, you know, say they were supposed to depart the shop, you know, at 8 a.m. But they get there, you know, 7.20, 7.30, you know, get coffee or whatever, but uh, they start loading up the truck at that time, or mm -hmm. even say one individual starts loading up the truck. That individual that's loading up the truck for the day's work, his day just started whenever yes. he's putting materials in because he's doing, whether you call it principal or whether you call it an activity that's integral to the principal activity, mm -hmm. that individual is loading up there. Now, in the example that I was given, the way they got around it is they made sure that the individuals got back to the shop at the end of the day and enough time to load the trucks for the next day so that 
they were just paid through the end of the day. And then when they got there the next morning, the truck was ready to go. I know that there are obviously plenty of other workarounds. You know, you designate that one individual to load the truck just because mm-hmm. John's loading the truck doesn't mean the other five that are sitting around watching are now going to be area on. No, they don't time. get paid. Right. They can go right. over to McDonald's for all we're concerned and get right. breakfast. They're free again, get into does the employer control their time right then? And I know you're we talking a little bit about California, but it is applicable to federal law to an extent too. And the employer has no control over their time at that point. Just an interesting scenario. I'm sure there's plenty of other ones out there and I'm sure anybody listening's probably run into one similar to that. And that's, that's what you have to be careful of. Well, one of the questions that come up with company trucks is parking is bad at the work site. The, uh, Contractor says, hey, tell you what, whoever wants to do this, show up early at the office and one of the guys who has a truck um, can take you over to the to the job site. And this is like the bus. Do the guys who show up early and get on the company truck, uh, do they get paid for their time? And the answer to that is like the bus, probably not because they'd have to drive there anyway. This is a convenience. They don't have to pay for parking. They don't have to worry about their car. It's safely at the employer's shop. So no, does the fact that there's a guy driving them, does the driver get paid? Again, probably not because he. this is just a convenience. Now, if the employer demands that the driver of the truck be there at quarter of eight so that he can take people, to the job site, then probably he gets paid. If you're allowing a driver, a guy who has a truck to take other people, uh, you have insurance considerations that outstrip what you were thinking before. That's an interesting tidbit. And while it's not, you know, applicable to our topic, we've never really stayed on topic anyway. Right. Uh, It's not a principal activity, but. No, but it could be maybe integral. But that's a, that's yeah. a good note for employers that happen to be listening. Um, you need to be aware if you weren't, even if let's say you have an electrician that's using your truck and they drive it home and that's, you know, they yeah. take it home. They get into an accident and they're not on working time. That does not leave you harmless. The company, right. The company, the company could, could still their, be in trouble. Right. But I want to back up because I want to challenge you here. And I think okay. I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this, but I know that there's there's going to be people screaming about this. Uh, you just said the individuals can show up at the employer's shop because parking is terrible at the job site. They all load up in the company vehicle and they go to the job. And that time's most likely not compensable. But Chuck, our CBA says shop to job is compensable time. What gives? And that's a good question, which I haven't ever seen played out, I would say that language alone probably doesn't prevail. It's not a clear statement that this preliminary activity, this non-principal activity um, creates or starts the clock. But I could see where somebody might look at it and say, hey, yeah, we had to come to the shop or we didn't have to go to the shop, but we went to the shop. And then we rode in. So, of course, we get paid. Um, I think you're touching on what could be, as the Supreme Court called it, the uh, bright line or the dividing line. 
and maybe it is, maybe it's not, but it's exactly what you said. Did you have to come to the shop? And that's one of the questions. If that scenario were brought to me, that's the question I'd send back immediately is, did the employees have to report to the shop to get a ride to the job site? Or was literally like, like we talked about, was it just a convenience? They could have said, no, I'm just going to go park at the job. Yeah. But I don't know that even requiring them to come. So let's go back similar to that, that Gulf coast thing. There's no parking and the owner of the job won't let anybody park on that property. Um, only marked trucks can come in. So then you tell people, well, you can't park there. You have to come to the shop or you have to come to, uh, well, we'll say the shop because that's what the language says. You have to come to the shop and then we'll take you over there. I think it takes something more than that to get around the clear law that says that's commuting time. The That terminology comes from codifying what the Portal to Portal Act and the Fair Labor Standards Act was about that once your day starts, and this is where we get into the continuous workday, once your day starts at the shop, any travel you do after that is compensable time. Because if you go to the shop and start work, like starting to load the truck, and then you drive 10, 30, 60 minutes to get to the job, some employers would have said, well, that's commuting time now. You're just commuting. So we'll pay you for the 10 minutes you loaded the truck, but we're not going to pay you for the hour to get to the job site with the truck you loaded. And the law says, no, you have to pay for that time spent from the start of your workday, from your first principal activity until the end of the workday at the end of your last principal activity is all work. It's all compensable time even if you're just standing around waiting for material to show up, except for breaks of at least 20 minutes or longer where you're completely relieved of any obligation. Those breaks, lunch, you don't have to pay for. I think that language got into the agreements to codify that. I don't think that the authors of any particular agreement meant that If you come to the shop to hitch a ride, you're going to get paid for that time. I don't know that. I don't know what the understandings were when they wrote it. I don't know what the practice was or has been. I think it's a hard case to win for the person who is making the claim that I went to the shop to get a free ride to the office, so you should pay me. But we don't know. Courts can be funny. What you guys just heard that exchange, that back and forth, number one, is not scripted. I I know we might sound like professionals. um, And (laughs) when we garner, you know, John Bon Jovi dropping in, of course. Um, But that's actually the reason why uh, we started this podcast. Chuck and I have or had these discussions all the time um, where we'd have this scenario come up and we just go back and forth. And well, what about this? Well, did you think about this? Well, the language says it. And we would just, I mean, it's sometimes we'd spend a pretty good chunk of time breaking apart an agreement, analyzing the language, analyzing the scenario. And it's, so that's, that's what led to these is those types of conversations mm-hmm. and just getting these recorded, getting these out there for everyone to listen to, uh, because it, it sparks good discussion. And the podcast has done that. It's given us a lot of good feedback and a lot of good discussion and, you know, obviously keep that going. 
are coming, I should say. Um, but yeah, you guys legitimately just heard not only, I guess, how the sausage is made, because <laughs> when a yeah, when an issue is sent up to labor relations, that's that it's not like we have this magical book that we open that gives us all the answers. It's we kick right. things back and forth. We dissect it. We ask all these questions and and challenge each other and you know really dive into it and <laughs> unfortunately sometimes the answer we come to is maybe <laughs> let's find out right. or or we convince ourselves of a of an answer and then present it to the person who asked the question who then sends us a piece of paper that's signed by the chapter in a local union that says exactly the opposite so i hate it when that happens <laughs> i i always did if you got a signed piece of paper, that's what controls, unless it violates the law. And in this case, Portal to Portal says you don't have to pay this unless you've agreed to it. So if you agree to it, you can pay them 24 hours a day. Well, Chuck, that's, you know, a lot of examples, a lot of experiences. Obviously, there are a lot more out there. I would actually love to hear from our listeners if you have something that we didn't cover or you have a unique experience that doesn't fit into maybe one of these molds or some of these examples that we've said, let me know about it. Uh, I'd, I'd love to have the conversation and the discussion with you mm-hmm. uh, because you just saw this is, this is how we work our way through things. We ask questions. We, what if this, what about that? Have you considered this? Um, so yeah, I'd love to hear what you guys have to say, but all good things must come to an end. And Chuck, we do have to wrap for today. Sure. As I say, every time I cannot thank you enough for doing this, for continually lending your knowledge to the industry, to me and to all of our listeners. Um, it's, it's greatly appreciated. So thank you. Well, you're welcome. Uh, anytime. Well, not anytime, but most times. Uh, I'm not paying you to drive in. <laughs> <laughs> uh, to our, our listeners, thank you for, for listening in. Uh, if, obviously, if you have any questions or think something or you have something to add to something that we said, let me know, send it over to me. If there's a topic that you want us to cover or something you want us to go in more depth about, send it up to me. Uh, we'd love to, to dive into that as well. But again, thank you, Chuck listeners. Thank you for tuning in and we look forward to seeing you guys on the next one. Have a good day.